Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the lead pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit myselfland.com. I'm back in my uh, series now in the book of Luke. We're working our way through the book of Luke. And basically what we've been doing is, is every week we, we just take another chapter. So uh, one week, one chapter. And of course, we don't do the whole thing, as I've been saying. I'll just take one section of a chapter. I, I won't take all of them. There's tons and tons we could do. And it would take us years to get through the book of Luke. But I just pick one section and from a chapter. And then the next week, we move to the next chapter. Um, but this week, I, and I told you I would do this three weeks ago. Uh, three weeks ago, I preached uh, a message on anxiety from Jesus' message on anxiety in Luke chapter 12, 22 to 34. Um, but I told you at the time I wanted to do a second one. I think it's just such a, a big topic uh, in our church, in our culture, in our world, and there was so much I couldn't get to in it. So uh, today I'm going to speak on that uh, passage again a second time, anxiety part two. And uh, so just a quick review, just to remind us of some of the stuff we covered last time. Uh, last time we talked about different, a couple of different reasons why people have anxiety. And we talked about, first of all, that, that not everyone has anxiety because they're believing lies uh, in their head or because they need inner healing or because, you know, they just have unbelief about the Bible or whatever. Um, some people have anxiety and depression for physical reasons. And we talked about that. And the fact that if a person has anxiety, and there's, I know some godly, godly people here in this church, and I know people outside this church, who are godly people who believe God's word, who walk with Jesus, yet they struggle with anxiety and depression, and has nothing to, them, to do with them not believing God's word, or with them needing more inner healing or, what, or, or anything like that. It actually has to do with physical, chemical imbalances in their brain. Just like you can get sick in other parts of your body and have to go to the hospital and get medication, and nobody has any problem with that, for some reason, the church has, has maintained a stigma. Many Christians have kept this kind of stigma. It's okay to take you know, Tylenol when you have a headache, but it's somehow, for some reason, not okay to take uh, medication if you have a chemical imbalance. And we talked about there how in this church, we are not going to shame people with mental illness. And the answer for someone whose anxiety and depression comes from physical reasons, the solution to that is not a scripture passage, even though scripture passages help us, and that's the next one, but with the wrong thinking one. But if you have a physical problem, you need a physical solution. And so for some people, the, the, uh, the solution is going to include medication and nutrition and those sorts of things. So some anxiety is rooted in physical things and physical brokenness, and for that you need physical solutions. Now, a lot of anxiety, every person, even people with uh, physical anxiety, every human being will also have anxiety that comes from wrong thinking. Now, anxiety that comes from wrong thinking, that's what Jesus is talking about a lot in this passage. Anxiety that comes from wrong thinking is cured by getting the truth in you, receiving God's love, and, uh, and hearing the truth from God's word and the spirit. And we talked a lot about that in that last message. And Jesus talks a lot about it in this passage. But today I want to bring up a third reason. And actually there are, there are more. I'm not saying these are the only three. There's actually more. And I would love to do a, uh, and in fact, I, I'm pretty sure I will do a message at some point this year or a message series on, on rest and Sabbath. Because I think that's another reason why people have anxiety. But a third reason why people have anxiety. So there's physical reasons. There's wrong thinking, and then there's also wrong choices. Isn't that true? There's also wrong choices. And some people have anxiety, and maybe you listened to that message three weeks ago, and, uh, and maybe you've you know, bought a house that's far too big for your budget. 
and you are experiencing stress because of that, and you've been praying since that message three weeks ago, you've been journaling, and you've been seeking to receive God's love, and you've been seeking to receive his promises, but you still feel anxiety because you have trouble paying the bills. Well, the fact of the matter is that your anxiety comes from wrong choices, not from wrong thinking in that case. Now, there might be wrong thinking that drove you to wrong choices, but, there's, but wherever you have made uh, wrong choices and you're uh, you know, receiving the consequences from wrong choices, that's not going to be fixed by journaling and getting some inner healing. It's not going to be fixed until you downsize. Does that make sense? You know, you've racked up all kinds of credit card debt and bought all kinds of things that you shouldn't and you're having trouble paying the bills and you're trying to go back and claim promises from that message in this passage that I spoke about three weeks ago and you're wondering why it's not working. It's not working because you're spending too much. Okay? Or you compulsively say yes to every single thing. You compulsively say yes to every activity for your, for your kid and every sport. And you compulsively say yes to everything at work. You just grow, 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 grow the business and you never subtract anything in your life. And then you wonder why you're stressed out. And you think, okay, I got to just claim some more promises or receive God's love. Well, yes, those things are always good. And that will help you with anxiety that comes from wrong thinking. But but that kind of help won't help you until you slow your life down. Does that make sense? Wrong choices will also cause anxiety. And in those cases, the only way to fix them is to turn around and make uh, right choices. And Jesus speaks to this issue as well. He speaks to the wrong thinking issue. He speaks to the wrong choices issue. And, and, and in fact, he, he gives, gives an incredibly practical message in the second half of this passage, which, which we didn't talk about uh, three weeks ago, but he gives us the central key. He doesn't just give us hundreds of practical applications. He actually gives us in this passage a central key from which our actions should emanate. And when our actions emanate from that core, from that center, you're going to save yourself from a lot of anxiety. And so I just want to read the passage to you again, and then we'll, we'll pray, and, uh, and we'll look into this. But let's just read it again. It's such a powerful passage. Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. And Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Is that not? It's just wonderful, like I said three weeks ago. Do not be anxious about your life. He's not mad, but what a wonderful what a wonderful command to us that he doesn't want us, you know, even in the physical, I, I looked, we looked at those three reasons for, for anxiety. Isn't it amazing that even in the physical side of things, he's provided, he's provided science, he's provided plants and substances in this world that can actually help people with physical brokenness to relieve some of their symptoms. Isn't that amazing that it's not God's will for us to, to be unhelped in our anxiety? Where our anxiety comes from wrong thinking, his love and his truth are so good. Where our anxiety comes from wrong choices, his wisdom and grace are so powerful. And even where our anxiety comes from physical things, he's provided physical substances even there to help and, and relieve us. Do not be anxious. He's a wonderful God. And he wants to help each one of us in our anxiety. So do not be anxious about your life what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do a small thing, isn't it wonderful to feel small in God's hands? And if you're not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? 
consider, and we looked at that Greek word, uh, you know, three weeks ago, katnaeo, fix your mind. So this first half of the passage, he's talking about fix your mind on new things, fix your mind on God's love, fix your mind on God's truth, fix your mind on God's promises. In order to overcoming this, so much of our anxiety is rooted in wrong thinking. We have to, we have to be saturated with his truth, which is love, Kat, and with his love, katnaeo, fix your mind on these things. Consider the lilies and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in a field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you of, or you of little faith? He cares about you. And that's the first half of this passage. is all about focus your mind on new things, the promises of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, receive it. But now you're going to see in the second half of this passage, it's going to flip now from changing your thinking to changing your actions, all right? And that's where we're going to spend our time today in this message. And he says, and do not, so there we see a, a, a do, a do not, things to do and things not to do. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Now, there's a few more verses, which we'll get to later in this message, where he gets very practical about this. But I want to stop there, and we'll pray, and, we'll, and, and then we'll, we'll open this up. But the central core to change the anti-anxious life, it's not just change your thinking, it's also change your actions. Your actions and your thinking, they feed into each other. Sometimes your actions are feeding anxiety, and sometimes your thinking is feeding anxiety and to have a, a life where you love God and experience less anxiety, it's not just changing your thinking, it's also changing your actions. It's change your thinking a little bit, change your actions. I know sometimes people think, I have to change my thinking entirely before I can change my actions. It's not true. The two things work together. Sometimes you can't change your thinking until you've changed your actions. And so Jesus tells us here, he, said, he starts off this message, it's all under the banner of, do not be anxious. You know, my little, I can just see them, my little children, my little flock. Do not be anxious. And then he gives us this key here. If you can live your life from the core of, I am seeking God's kingdom first. That is the anti-anxious life. That's the core right there. If your actions, your, the way you spend your money, the way you spend your time, the way you act in relationships, the way you act at work, the choices you make about what you do from day to day and how you do them. If you can do all of those things from a core of, I'm seeking his kingdom first and not all the other things we could be seeking, that is the anti-anxious lifestyle, okay? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna pull four things out of this passage uh, of specifics of how do we seek God's kingdom first, but let's pray first, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to really help us with this. Uh, Lord Jesus, in this service, no doubt, as in both the ones last night and in the one later this morning, there will be, no doubt, people who are here who are, even right now, overwhelmed with anxiety. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that you would touch each one by the power of your Holy Spirit and give them hope. And for the rest of us, Lord Jesus, at various times in our life, we all experience anxiety to different levels for different reasons. And Lord Jesus, we want to learn the joy, heaven on the inside of seeking your kingdom first. Would you open up our hearts and our minds to receive it? It'll be applied in a thousand different ways. 
I pray that you would apply it to each one of our lives in a unique way that will bring tremendous joy and increased knowledge of you. In your precious name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. How do we seek God's kingdom first? And like I said, I want to pull out four things. And, uh, and the first two have to do with checking our motives, even as we make our choices and as we live from day to day. How do we seek God's kingdom first, since that is the anti-anxious lifestyle? And the first one is check your motives as you're making your decisions and living from day to day, are you seeking God's kingdom or worrying about what's going to happen? Now, don't worry, I've got a whole bunch of points under there. And for some of you, that's going to make you feel anxious having all those points up there. So I want you just to take a deep breath. I just wanted to give a bunch of examples so that you see how this can look. Seeking God's kingdom or worrying what's going to happen. Here's what I mean by that. One of the things that causes us so much anxiety is that instead of thinking about God's kingdom, we're worried about what's going to happen to us. Okay? We're worried about what's going to happen. And there's all kinds of examples. So in any given situation, instead of thinking, what's, go, you know, what's going to happen with God's kingdom, or how can I advance God's kingdom, we're worried, what are people going to think of me? Okay? That's one that causes lots of anxiety. Okay? We're worried, will I have enough? We're worried, can I pull this off? We're worried, am I going to screw it up? We're worried about all kinds of what-if questions. Right? Instead of thinking, what, what is God doing and what's God's kingdom, we're worried in situations and decisions, what happens if we lose? What happens if we go bankrupt? What happens if the diagnosis comes back positive? We're worried about what's going to happen instead of focusing on God's kingdom, seeking God's kingdom first. In order to seek God's kingdom first, we have to think about his kingdom instead of worrying about what's going to happen. Okay? And uh, if, can you imagine if your only concern, if my only concern, if our only concern was I just want to do what God wants. I'm not worried what people are going to think about me. I'm not worried if I'm going to mess up. I'm not worried if this thing is all going to fall apart. I have one concern in, that is I just want to do what God wants. Could you imagine how your life would be different if you could think that way? I think a great example of this is in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, Paul models this for us. It's absolutely brilliant. Very, very famous verse. I'm going to read you the first uh, verse, and it's extremely famous, and I'll read you the next couple. But Paul says this in Philippians chapter 1, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Can you see how that is focused on the kingdom and God, and not on what's going to happen? You see, Paul's mentality is, I'm not focused on what's going to happen, because whatever happens, I'm going to give glory to God. So if I live, I'm going to live for, for Christ. And if I die, I'm going to go and be with Christ. So win or lose, he's not worried about what's going to happen. He's not worried, am I going to live? Am I going to die? He's not focused on what's going to happen. He's focused on God's kingdom. So instead of worrying what's going to happen, his mentality is whatever happens, I'm going to glorify God. If I live, I'm going to glorify God. And if I die, I'm going to go and get to be with God. I'm going to glorify God. Now, can you imagine if you could have that mindset sink so deep into your heart that when you go to, maybe you've, you have a business and you worry about it a lot, that you could say whether uh, the business, if the business succeeds, I'm going to glorify God. And if the business fails, I'm going to do like Job and I'm going to glorify God. Do you see right there how there is no place left anymore for anxiety? 
When you think more about God's kingdom than your reputation and what people think about you and, all, and success and all sort of stuff, there's no place for anxiety. He just said, do not be anxious. And now he gives us the absolute core, the gold nugget is seek first his kingdom. If I live, it's for Jesus. And if I die, it's for Jesus. If I win, it's for Jesus. And if I lose, it's for Jesus. If I, if I succeed, it's for Jesus. And if I fail, it's for Jesus. If we don't worry about what's going to happen and instead just commit to ourselves that whatever happens, I'm going to live for God, it would change our lives. If I am, Paul expands on this a little bit here in the next couple of verses. He says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which shall I choose? I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. I mean, when you can desire to die so you can be with Jesus, you know you're in a place where you can't be anxious anymore. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. I'm good with dying. I'm good with living. I'm good with winning. I'm good with losing. I'm good with succeeding. I'm good with failing. Whatever happens, I will glorify God. Seek first his kingdom. So in the situations or in the decisions you're making, are you seeking God's kingdom first or are you worried about what's going to happen? I even think of very complicated situations. I've seen some people do it really well actually here in this church, amazingly. I think if, let's, if we just you know, think about a, a super complicated situation like a, like a marriage falling apart or a marriage that's really struggling. And there's lots of pain that comes with that. But did, and there's all kinds of different emotions. There's pain and hurt, but there's also anxiety that comes with that. And, and, you know, and so you're stressed. What's going to happen? And, and will my spouse respond? And, and, and will my spouse want to work on this? And maybe we, can we get help? And can our marriage be saved? And you have all these questions that are caused. In addition to the pain, you've got all this anxiety, which just makes the pain worse. But can you imagine if in that situation, instead of worrying about what's going to happen, if you just said, you got up every morning and said, today... I'm going to give God glory with my actions. Whether my spouse responds or not, whether my spouse wants to get help or not, whether the marriage can be saved or not, I don't know. But this one thing I know is that I'm seeking God's kingdom first instead of worrying about the, what's going to happen. I'm going to love today. I'm going to give Jesus glory today. If you can bring that mentality into any situation, change your life. Change your life. And of course, I'm not saying this is easy, in actuality this can be very difficult to do, I, I wish, I wish I could just preach this message and have it myself. I wish I could just read this passage in Luke 12 and we all just go, ha, from now on I just care about God's glory and I'm not going to worry about what's going to happen. Oh, this would be amazing. I would love it. And it doesn't work that easily, does it? And I don't, and Paul, I'm pretty sure, I think Philippians is one of, I'm just talking at the top now, so this could be wrong, you can double check me, but I think Philippians was one of the books that was written closer to the, to the end of his journeys. I, but anyway, whatever the case, I think this is one of those truths that took him a long time to get to. And I've never seen anyone fully accomplish getting this one in their heart in this lifetime. I think it's something we always work on. But sometimes you just got to know the goal of that's what we should be living like, so we can actually shoot toward it, so we can grow in it, and we can practice it. That in our prayer times, in our daily devotion times, we can begin to strive towards this kind of a mindset. In every decision, in every situation, in every worry, I'm not going to think, I'm not going to worry about what's going to happen. I'm going to just determine today, I'm going to live for God's kingdom. 
There's a second motive check we need to do. That's the first motive check. Am I seeking God's kingdom or worrying about what's going to happen? There's a second one. They're close, and there's a lot of overlap between these two, but they are slightly different. Check your motives part two. Are you seeking God's glory or your glory? So sometimes we forget about God's kingdom because we're so worried about what's going to happen. But sometimes we forget about God's kingdom because we're actually, we're not, it's not because we're worried about what's going to happen. It's because we're seeking for ourselves. And again, I've put up a bunch of points on there. The point, it's, there's, well, I could put up, put up 100 things on there. Uh, my point was just to show you different ways this can look because the fact of the matter is nobody gets up in the morning and says, well, I'm seeking my glory today instead of God's. Nobody thinks that. But we all do it all the time. It just takes many different forms. So, but in any time you're seeking something other than God's glory, that is a door for anxiety to come into your life. That's what Jesus said. Do not be anxious. You know, little flock, little children, do not be anxious. And then he gives us his secret. Seek first the kingdom. Well, if you're seeking anything above the kingdom, that's a doorway for anxiety into your life. So if you are uh, afraid of failure, you're more concerned about failing than you are about God's glory, that is a door for, for anxiety into your life and for bad decisions. If you're more concerned with pleasure, if you're in a situation where you just need to win at all costs, it could be a relationship, it could be a business decision, or it could be an argument you're having or whatever it is, but you just need to win at all costs. If you're more concerned about winning than about God's glory, that's another door for anxiety into your life. If you're more concerned about looking good than God's glory, if you're more concerned with people liking you than God's glory, if you're more concerned with success than God's glory, if you're more concerned with wealth than God's glory or your desires or even your needs, if you're concerned with anything above God's glory, you're going to have worry in your life. And I can show you this if we go back to Luke chapter 12. By the way, did you know that you can't even expect God to bless what you're doing unless you're truly de desiring to seek his kingdom? Did you know that? Did you know that unless you're actually putting his kingdom first, you can't actually, it's not that he loves you or not loves you. He always loves you. But did you know that you, you cannot expect him to hold his promises or to bless what you're doing if you're, not, if you're seeking something of your own above his kingdom. Let me show you that right here in Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, let's go back. Verse 29, look what it says here. And do not seek what you, look at that word there. Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink. Now notice, neither eating or drinking is a sin. I mean, if eating or drinking is a sin, I sinned lots this morning and I'm planning to sin a whole lot this afternoon and evening. I love eating and drinking. That's not a sin. Yet he says, so even with your needs, never mind some of those, you know, more obviously selfish things I had on the screen just before. But if you seek your own needs, and it's not even that it's bad. I mean, we have to work. We have to pay the bills. We have to go shopping. It's not, it's not that, you know, the point here isn't that you, you can't look after your needs. The point is, if you even put your needs above his kingdom, okay, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek His kingdom. It's about first. It's not that you don't take care of your needs. It's that you seek first His kingdom, and now look what happens, and then these things will be added to you. So the promise is hinging. That's why I said before, you know, some of you, you know, I preached that message three weeks ago, and we looked at some of the amazing promises of God and how much He loves us. But you've made maybe some, you know, some very unwise choices or selfish choices or whatever, and now you have some kind of debt from that or you have some kind of consequences from that, and you've been claiming promises and you don't know why it's not taking away the anxiety. The reason is because the promises are for those who put his kingdom first.
So wherever you put his kingdom first, you can rock solid, hold on to the promise. He will take care of you. That's good news. Let me use an illustration. The army only, I don't know lots about the army, but uh, just basically from movies and TV, but, uh, which isn't a great place to learn anything. But, but if you serve in the, uh, in the Canadian army, for example, right now, you don't have to go out and, and, and hunt your own food in the morning. Like you don't take out your machine gun and go shoot whatever lives or whatever, and then that's what you eat. Uh, because the army provides that for you, right? Okay, that is, that's quite true. I haven't confirmed that, but I'm quite sure that's true. So you, you, don't, you don't worry. You don't get up in the morning and wonder, oh, I wonder if I have enough money today to, to eat enough. No. You get up, you go to the mess tent, and the army provides all your food. They provide your uniforms. Now, you have to keep the stuff clean, maybe, and all that sort of stuff, but they provide the weapons. They provide the ammunition. You don't have to worry about buying that stuff or going to find it every day. The army provides. As long as you are in the army's service and you're, you're, you're doing the work that they need you to do or fighting the enemy or whatever it is, as long as you're in the army's service, they provide everything you need because they need you to be equipped to do what they want you to do. Now, can you imagine if a soldier, okay, would try to take advantage of that and they just think, you know what, I don't like the work I have to do for the army. I don't like, you know, bad guys. Uh, so I'm going to just take off to some exotic locale. And so you desert the army. You desert the army, and the next day you're in some, you know, exotic locale. Can you imagine complaining, wait a minute, why has the army not sent me my breakfast today? Can you imagine that? Well, of course not. But you say, but I'm a soldier in the army. He, they, the army should be providing me for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The army should be providing for you as long as you're in the army service. But if you run off to live on your own for your own stuff, and you just want to live in an exotic locale, the army doesn't provide for you in that. Does that make sense? Now, in the same way, okay? Now, of course, I don't want to overplay the analogy because we are sons and daughters of Jesus, and he loves us. And we all go prodigal from time to time, and we lose our way, and we have to come back, and all that sort of stuff, and God never ceases to love you. He doesn't just see you as a soldier. He sees you as a child. But there is a large sense, and it's in Scripture as well, a picture that we are also soldiers, and you cannot expect God to foot the bills for you living however you want to live. The promises that he will take care of us and the promises in this passage of how he takes care of the birds and the flowers and all sorts of stuff, that absolutely 100% applies for all those who seek his kingdom and desire to do his will. I mean, I think his grace is, by the way, just, just to pause you for just a moment, I think his grace is so good that even, as long as your desire is to, is to serve him, I think even if you made a wrong choice, let's say you made a wrong choice, but in making that wrong choice, you, you tried as best you could to make a wise choice, and you prayed, and you desperately desired to serve him. I think his grace is so much, he actually supplies your needs, all, like he just takes care of you, he says, I love your heart. But if you just want to go live however you want, and you think he's going to foot the bill for you living beyond your means, that is not what the promises of scripture are for. He says, the anti-anxious lifestyle is one that seeks my kingdom first. If you genuinely want my glory and want my kingdom, I will take care of all your needs. But if you want to live on your own, I'll just let you take care of yourself until you come on back. I'll just let you take care of yourself until you come on back. So, check your motive in your decisions and in your situations. If you're seeking God's glory, you can 
trust in these promises. And if you're seeking your own, you need to get back to seeking his. All right, third point here. Third point. How do we seek God's kingdom first? The anti-anxious lifestyle. And the third one is do right. Be a person of character, integrity, and compassion in the midst of every situation. You know, there's a, it just came to me in a message last night, and so I never put it on PowerPoint this weekend, but I want to take you, Psalm 112, I, I've actually memorized this chapter, but, but uh, not good enough to just jump in in the middle and say it in front of all of you. But Psalm chapter one, uh, 112 says something really amazing about the connection between being righteous and a person of character and anxiety. So listen to what it says. Psalm 112, and I'll just read you verses 6 to 9. For the righteous, that's a person of character who loves God with integrity. For the righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. Now listen to this. This is the righteous. He is not afraid of bad news. Isn't that good news? He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid until he looks in triumph on his adversaries. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. His horn is exalted in honor. Is that not an amazing promise? The righteous will never be moved. He will be remembered forever. He is not afraid of bad news. His heart is firm, trusting the Lord. His heart is steady. He will not be afraid. There's something in this seeking God's kingdom first. Do not be anxious. That when you do right, when you are a person of character and integrity and compassion. It's in that place. That's actually a big part of what it means to seek God's kingdom first. Can I dispel kind of a, uh, a, a, you know, a wrong conception I think a lot of people have about what it means to seek God's kingdom? I think a lot of us, when we think about seeking God's kingdom, we think of going out and doing ministry. And of course, that's obviously included. Certainly, that's important. But we think of seeking God's kingdom is I'm seeking God's kingdom whenever I go out and do ministry. So if, if I go out and do missions or if I go out and do ministry, certainly that's all included. Yes, absolutely. But it's too narrow a view. Too narrow a view. That's one small part of what it means to seek God's kingdom. Do you want to know what the biggest thing and in, first, in fact what the first step is in seeking God's kingdom? I'll tell you what, it's, what it is. Be Christ-like in the midst of your situation. Because if you will model Christ in your situation, you're bringing his kingdom into your situation. And the thing that God cares about more than, more than what you do is the kind of person you are. Do you know as people, one of the things, and this is a message I just want to repeat over and over again because I, just, I feel something that God's been teaching me over the last couple of years. But so often we are only concerned with God, I just need to know what the decision is supposed to be. Is it A, is it B, is it C, or is it D? Just tell me that. And he's trying to tell us other things. No, 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 I don't, no, no, God. Just tell me what I'm supposed to pick. What job am I supposed to take? What am I supposed to do here? Do you know that much of the time, I think that actually God does, I mean, I shouldn't say he doesn't care. He always cares, and he does care what the decision is. But he cares much more about the kind of person you are and your character than he does about the, the end decision. Did you know that? It's your character that's going to last forever. So he's not just concerned. We're going to him and say, well, what do I choose? Is it this or is it this? And he's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. In many cases, as long as, as one of the, the choices isn't immoral, he's saying, you know what? I could bless either one if I really wanted to, but I'm really concerned with who you're going to be in either one. And if you want to seek God's kingdom first, you want to seek God's kingdom first, before you even get to what do you want me to do, we need to ask God this question, 
what kind of a person do you want me to be today in the midst of this situation? And if you'll be Christ-like, you've just brought his kingdom into your situation. You've also dispelled a lot of your reasons for being anxious because anxiety comes from worrying what's going to happen and what I'm going to do. If I just worry about being the right person, I can trust that God's going to lead me into the right decision. So for example, I'll just give you, I like to just give personal examples as I struggle for things in my own life and to show you kind of how this can, can look. Uh, this, this last week, and, it, and it's true, you know, pretty much every week, it seems like this church is so big and all of a sudden it's happening. There's always big decisions we're making and praying about. Should we be doing this? And how can we do this better? And what do we do with this challenge? And, and so, you know, on any given week, I'm meeting with different staff and we're working through things. And so this last week, again, there's a couple of big things that come up and you're like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do about this? So Friday morning, two days ago, I was up in the morning and there was another one. It was like, oh, I have no idea. And one of the things I used to, you know, in the past, I would just let these things pile up. Do you know that every time you leave an issue unresolved inside, it just stacks up and you get stress. And then you have another issue in your life and you leave that one unresolved and it stacks up. And another one and another one, some little, some big. And eventually you're overwhelmed with stress. So one of the things I've been learning is use your devotional times to to work through those issues. So you can, you know, maybe you can't work through all of them in one day, but we can take this one out so I'm not completely overwhelmed all day. So I had this one that I didn't know what to do about. I said, Lord, I don't know what to do about this. You know, is it A, B, C, D? I don't know. And there's no easy answer. So I open up my journal, and the first thing I do, because I just know before I get to A, B, C, or D, if he's even going to touch that in, a, in the first day, usually those are things that come much later, I said, I just want to cut through all the fears and, and take a look at all the different motives that I've got going on inside of me, and I want to get to a place where I can say, whatever the issue is, I'm seeking God's kingdom. I'm not, I'm not doing it because of fear, because of my own stuff. So I just took a bunch of time in my journaling, and I just wrote out, these are some of the different options, and then I wrote out, this is what I'm afraid of here. If we do this, I'm afraid of this and this and this, and if we don't do this, I'm afraid of this, this, and this. And I, and I wrote down, and, and then these are some of my other desires, and these are some of the other competing thoughts. And I just took some time and prayerfully just wrote out all the different motives and things going on inside of me. And even just doing that prayerfully before the Lord is powerful. And the whole time I was just prayerfully, I was just telling him, Lord, I just want to get to the place where I'm just seeking your kingdom and I've, and, I've, and, I've, and I've waded through all the stuff going on inside of me. So when I was, finally had gotten through all of that, then I listened and I said, Lord, is there anything you want to say? Now that I can put this stuff all down on paper, what do, what do you want to say to me? And then he said to me again, this thing that I just talked about, which he's been affirming in me for a long time now, and he just keeps doing it again and again. He says, I, I want you to learn this. And he said to me, who you are in this process, who you are in this time period is more important to me than what decision you make in the end. Like, I, if we could just get that truth in us, who you are in the middle of this, just be the right person. That's all you have to worry about. Don't worry about the results. Worry about who you are in the midst of this. So I said, okay, Lord, okay, I got it. You don't want to tell me today what I should choose. You want to tell me who you want me to be. Okay, that's important to you. So I said to Kate, then who do you want me to be? I've got to go to work today and next week, and I've got to have meetings and different things. What kind of a person do you want me to be in this? And then I felt like he gave me five things. So I'll just, I'll just put them up there. I'm just showing you. This is just how this can look. And I felt like he showed me five things. He said, first of all, I don't want you to rush. I want you to learn to be patient and not just make knee-jerk reactions. That's a, that's a problem in my character sometimes. He said, I don't want you to rush. You're not allowed to rush. And I kept praying, and he said, I want you to listen to everyone. You've got to listen to everyone. Okay? So I can do that. He said, I want you to pray. He 
He said, I, want, I don't want you to use fear to make your points. Any of you who, you know, if you work in an environment where you've got teams and stuff and you make points, isn't it true that we often try to sell our ideas either through fear or something else? And he said, I don't want you to use fear to make your points. And he said, I also don't want you to exaggerate. I don't want you to try to sell your ideas. I want you to listen to these meetings and try to discern what I'm saying through, through your teams. So I said, okay. So I wrote down those five things. It took me a little while. And once I had those five things, I just felt like, I just felt this tremendous sense of peace. I didn't know what decision I was going to make, but I knew this is what I'm going to avoid. I know my fears. I'm not going to make a decision based on those. And I know what five things I know what to do today. I know how to obey. In a moment, I did this. Now, this took me maybe 40 minutes or 45 minutes of my devotions. A little bit of time left. I could read the Bible. I'm like, oh, okay, good. I, I, I can read the Bible. I just felt such peace at this point because I don't need to worry about what's going to happen. I know that if I'm the right person, he's going to guide and lead. I know he will. Because what he expects me to do is worry about obeying him and putting his kingdom first and seeking his glory. But you know what's so amazing? I, uh, right after that, I opened my Bible to Ecclesiastes 3. And in the first, you know, six verses, and you can go there and look it up. You still won't have any idea what I'm talking about, and I've purposely done that. But, but the Lord spoke to me so powerfully in the first six verses. And uh, he still hasn't shown me exactly how the whole thing's going to work out, but we had some, you know, meetings later in the day and stuff that we just brought, had so much unity. God was working. I feel like he's setting us on a course and in a direction. It was incredible. But again, the whole point is you start by get yourself to a place where you say, I'm seeking your kingdom first, and I just want to obey you and be the right person. And when you're in that place, you can trust that he's going to guide and lead you. Amen? Amen. Seek first his kingdom. You want to lessen your anxiety? Well, look at this promise, this next verse, verse 32. Love it. If you do this, if you seek his kingdom first, then he says this, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If you will just be the right person, if you will not just quit or get mad or get revenge or do whatever it is that you want to do in your fear and your panic and your anxiety, if you will just persevere and be godly, you can trust that he will give you the kingdom. He will watch over you. Well, let's finish this message now. Let's finish this passage. Last few verses here. Jesus says this, sell your possessions and give to the needy. He gets very practical now. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and where no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Jesus says, you want to get your heart passionate for God? Put your money where your mouth is. That's what he says. That's what he said. That's his, that's his teaching. A lot of Christians wonder, I don't know how to get passionate for God. I don't, I don't know how to, and, and, and of course, you know, we shouldn't also judge our, you know, our, our relationship with God based on our feelings. Feelings can be very up and down. But at the same time, we want to have more passion for God. A lot of Christians say, I don't know how to get passionate for God. Jesus tells us right here. And whether you like his message or not, doesn't change the truth of it. He made us. He knows how we work. If you want to get passionate for God, you have to invest Money is what he's specifically talking about here, but money and time and energy. If you want to get passionate for God, you invest your money, you invest your time, you invest your energy in things of God and listening to him and all sorts of stuff. You have time with him in devotions. You invest money as king. You do all these things. You serve, and your heart will eventually follow. If all of your money and time and energy just goes into yourself, you're not ever going to be able to be passionate for God. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now you say, well, that's how I get passion for God, but this is a message about anxiety. And Jesus started this message off by saying, do not be anxious. How does this help my anxiety? Well, this is the final point, point. this one is so powerful. I think this might be the, the most powerful piece to seek his kingdom first. 
Essentially, what Jesus is saying here is live as if everything you have belongs to God. Live as if everything. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Live as if everything you have belongs to God. Isn't it true? If you have a company vehicle, and your company just provides a vehicle for you, now hopefully you have integrity, so you don't just, you know, totally aren't totally careless with it, but isn't it true that if your company just provides a vehicle for you, you worry about that vehicle less than if you provide the vehicle for you, isn't that true? Like we have a, we have a van, we've never brought a ban, bought a brand new van, but we have, the one we have now is newer than the one we had before, and I like it. And, and I still, to this day, don't like to drive on gravel roads with it. I, I resent, you know, some of you live in the country, and then you invite us over, and I, and I love you dearly, and I resent that you live in the country when I have to drive on gravel roads to your house. Because it's my van, and I like that van, and I don't want to drive on country roads with it, right? Like, it's just, because I, I pay for it. Now, if you just have, it's very different when you have just a company vehicle, you drive on gravel roads, and you maybe even drive a little fast, because it's kind of fun. Because uh, it's not yours, right? Because it's not as valuable to you because someone else uh, takes, you know, maybe it's not even about the value, but you don't worry about it. Certainly you don't worry about it as much. You know, that same principle is what Jesus is talking about here. Can you imagine what would happen in your heart of hearts if you actually considered your business to be God's? Like, not just say it. Every Christian business person would say that. But if in your heart of hearts, you actually believed my business is not mine, it's all God's, I'm just a manager, you would have a lot less to worry about, wouldn't you? But it's not just business. What if you believed in your heart of hearts that your ministry was not yours, it was just God's? If it's not yours and you're just a manager, he's the boss, why are you worried about it? Serve him as best you can, but why are you worried about it? He's the one in charge, whether it shrinks, whether it grows, whether it does good, whether it doesn't do good. It's all his. If it's his, why are you worried? Live as if everything you have, your business, your ministry, and your stuff are his, and you have nothing to worry about. Don't just say they're his, but if you could have that in your heart, it's all actually his. And I'm just the manager. You are living the anti anxious lifestyle. Now, I want to take you to a passage, and I've gone there before in messages, and I will continue going there in the future because it's just so powerful on this point. But we need to live as if our business, our ministry, and our stuff all belong to God. And I want to go to John chapter 3 because John the Baptist lived this better than anyone, you know, this example I just think is so good. And if we can grab a hold of what John the Baptist grabbed a hold of here, it would change our lives. But John chapter 3, you know, John was the most, he was the biggest thing there was in Israel, uh, you know, in the time of Jesus. And he didn't go to the city. He went out in the desert and the people flocked to him from the cities. Thousands and thousands of people came to hear him preach. He had many disciples. He, they baptized and baptized and baptized. People flocked to see John the Baptist in the wilderness. They flocked to him. And then Jesus came and they all left. Now we read the story and we go, ho-hum, yeah. Of course, they all follow Jesus, and we're not worried about that. How would you feel? How would you feel if you had a very successful business, and then overnight, everybody all left, and someone came and told you, hey, they're all just going because of God? You'd feel great. <laughs> How would you feel if you had a very successful ministry, very successful ministry? People were flocking to you. They were complimenting you. They were getting baptized, and then they all left. How would you feel? Most of us would be stressed out of our minds. But I want you to see what John did. He wasn't stressed. 
never cease to be amazed at his response. It's one of the most powerful things, you know, in the scripture to, uh, on this point. Verse 26, and they, that's John, disciples came to John, said to him, Rabbi, you know, he, that's Jesus who is with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness. Look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. Nobody's coming to you anymore. There's no more crowds. There's no more popularity. Now look at what John says next. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. First of all, can you imagine having that perspective? A person cannot receive even one thing. All your success was from him in the first place. Just, it was all from him, so why would I be worried about it? It was all from him in the first place. Can you imagine having that kind of an outlook? Now look what he says next. You yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears and rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Not only is he not stressed, he's actually happy. This joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Let me ask you something. You know you've fully taken hold of the fact that all of your stuff is his when you're okay with decrease if it's from him. So let me ask you, are you okay with decrease from God? Or would you be okay with decrease if God decreased your ministry or your influence or your business? Have you given it all to him in the same way that John the Baptist did? That's amazing. And if you actually believe that, it would certainly change not only the way you run your business and your ministry, but it would change your relationship with your stuff and your possessions and your money. And this is where I want to finish this here with just a couple of practical things straight from Jesus' message. I want you to notice here that Jesus' command is to sell and give, not buy and borrow. Got it underlined there. I want you to notice that Jesus does not say, buy as much as you can and finance it all to the hilt, for then you will have treasure in heaven and less anxiety. You notice that? You ever notice that? Buy all you can, finance it to the hilt, and then you will, you, you'll have money bags in heaven. Absolutely not. He says the exact opposite. He says, I want you to sell and I want you to give. If you were managing somebody else's money and you spent all that money on yourself and didn't track where it was going and racked up all kinds of debts, would that be wrong? You're afraid to nod yes. If you were managing somebody else's money and you spent it all, didn't track where it was going, and racked up all kinds of debts, would that be wrong? And the answer is yes. Now let me just ask you something. If everything we have is from God, okay? And again, now again, I, I don't want to overplay this. Again, our primary identity is sons and daughters. But there is this thing in Scripture of we are also stewards. Now, I don't want to overplay that. I don't think, I don't think it should ever get to the place where we have to do listening prayer before we buy some Listerine or do listening prayer. Is it two Timbits or is it one? And God just looks, come on. <laughs> Obviously, it's two. Like if it's chocolate <laughs> or whatever, just have a second one. You know, it's not agonizing. Oh, did God want me to buy this or that? It's not agonizing every decision. God, no, we're sons and daughters, and he, there's so much love and grace. But at the same time, there's also this idea of stewards. And someday, we will stand account before God, 
And he is going to ask us, what did you, not what did you do with your money, he is going to ask you, what did you do with my money? Because it's all his. Is that not true? Amen. And is that not the secret to this whole thing that Jesus is talking about, do not be anxious? He said, seek first my kingdom. It's live as if it's all his. So it's not about being anxious and praying over every little thing. Absolutely not. But at the same time, we have to live as stewards. So I want to leave you with just two very practical things. I think the only way to live this, and, and maybe I shouldn't be that strong. I'm, maybe I'm not that creative. But pretty much for most people, I think the only way to pull that off, sell your possessions and give to the needy, and actually put your treasure in heaven, is to make a budget. How, how on earth can you intentionally put God first and seek his kingdom first in your finances if you have no idea where your money's going? How can you be a steward for God and not know where your money goes? How, how can you know that you're funneling money into his kingdom, but you don't know where your money goes? It just goes and goes and goes and you rack up debts. How can you be a steward for him? How can you obey this and not have a budget? How can you be intentional about putting God first and not have a budget? So you make a budget. You budget in a tithe, 10%, for his body, the church. But you also budget in a family vacation. You budget in the stuff you need. You budget in, you know, missions giving. You budget in money so you can actually give to the needy. How many people actually give regularly to the needy? One of the things my wife and I have done is we actually budget money every month that we're praying about. I've talked about this before. What needs are there out there that we can bless people, that we can help people? If you don't budget it, how can, you, how can you do that if you're not ever praying about it, if you're not intentional? She said, do not be anxious. Seek first my kingdom. Actually, actually obeying these commands takes not just hearing a message and then I hope it comes to my mind every now and then. It actually takes putting a scaffolding around your life so that you can actually live for Jesus. A disciplined life. I think the two re biggest reasons why people don't make budgets is we're too lazy and we don't know how. We're too lazy and we don't know how. So let me just say, neither of those is an excuse. You don't know how in the age of Google? <laughs> I Googled Christian budgets yesterday afternoon just to make sure. There are many options out there. Pick one. Dave Ramsey is one. I've mentioned his name before only because I know of, of his stuff and it's really good stuff and he was one of the first ones that came up on the thing. Just Google Christian budgets. There is so much stuff there that will help you just to make a basic budget. And from a Christian perspective and all sorts of stuff. It's amazing stuff. Don't know how? Just actually set aside some time. Do you think you're going to stand before God on Judgment Day? And he's going to say, what did you do with my money? And you'll say, I just didn't ever know how. He's going to say, I gave you how many years on earth and you didn't figure it out? And how about on the too lazy one, set aside 30 minutes. You know, a couple of times a month, every time you get paid. You know, every other week or a couple of times a month. Set aside 30 minutes every time you get paid. And just sit down, and if you're married, do it with your spouse. You know, the two biggest reasons why married people fight is money and sex. And if you can get some communication going on the first one, you're also going to help yourself on the second one, okay? <laughs> so, a whole bunch of guys are signing up for budgets right now. <laughs> Woo! Sit aside 30 minutes and talk through it if you're married, but if you're single, then you just do it on your own or whatever. 
But you just make a budget together. You figure it out online together. You get some communication. You sit down for 30 minutes every couple weeks and you just work through and you bring out the receipts and you do it. The communication, the intentionality, and then you can pray right there. Who are some needy people we need to give to? Jesus, what are you saying? You're just getting intentional. This is how you seek God's kingdom first with your money. You're not just letting it happen to you and it's all gone before you know where it all is and you've racked up debts, but actually become focused. Your money and what you do with your money is spiritual. And if you can get your, if you can make your finance is a spiritual thing. It's going to grow you spiritually close to God in many other areas of your life. And then the last thing is live within your means. Live within your means. If your house payment each month is stressful and eats up a huge chunk of your budget, I mean, Dave Ram, again, I'm just quoting him. It's not the Bible. So figure, I'm not saying you're sinning if you're outside of this, but he recommends that your, your uh, house payments every month shouldn't eat up more than 25 to 30% of what you, of what you make. Um, but again, that's not a sin. That's not a Bible thing. That's just his recommendation. But if your house payment each month is stressful and eats up a huge chunk of your budget, there's no magic prayer in here that takes away your anxiety for that. You have to downsize. I'm sorry. If you can't afford two cars, you can't afford them. You say, well, what am I going to do? I need two cars. Well, you have to figure it out. But if you can't afford them, you can't afford them. If you can't afford a nice car, you have to get a less nice car. That the answer is not... God's going to bless me to do everything I want. The answer is live within your means and you will find that he will make you content and then he will take care of you. Live within your means. It's a spiritual issue when Christians rack up debt, 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 debt. And it keeps you from living for his kingdom. So why don't you bow your heads with me and close your eyes. I wanna, we just want to go for the Father and he loves you so much. And he wants to speak to you here today, but... I think we're all human beings. I think we all have stuff we need to let go of. Maybe it's your business. Maybe it's your ministry. Maybe it's your reputation. Maybe it's your finances. I don't know what God's saying, but you have things in your life that are causing you anxiety. And why don't we just bring those before the Lord here this morning? So bow your heads with me. Lord Jesus, thank you for your command. Do not be anxious. So we're coming to you here today. And some of us, we have not managed to give you our business. We have not managed to give you our ministry. We have not managed to give you our finances. And that's why we're stressed out. And that's why we're worried and afraid. Would you help us to let go? I want you just to let the Lord bring to your mind anything that you need to let go of this morning, anything that's worrying you, that's stressing you out. Just let him bring it to your mind. And I want you in your mind, just to open up your hand and say, Lord, it's yours. I'm tired of worrying about this. I'm tired of carrying this. I'm tired of trying to make this thing succeed. I got to leave it with you, Jesus. Failure, succeed. I'm going to give you glory. Failures succeed. I'm going to be a Christ-like person. Thank you, Jesus, that you promised to take care of us, your little flock. Thank you for your promises of provision. Thank you for your love, that you love us more than the grass of the field. And thank you that you're going to take care of us. Give us courage where courage is needed this week. Some of us need to make some tough choices. Maybe some of us even need to downsize things. Lord, give us the courage to make right decisions that we can live in the joy of your Holy Spirit. In your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.